Broadcasting from the 10 Hudson Square building, home of WNYC Radio here in Soho, New York, welcome to Brand on Purpose, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven companies and organizations. My guest today is Dagny Tucker. Dagny is co-founder of Vessel, a nonprofit disrupting the disposables industry by offering customers and cafes a reusable alternative to paper and plastic cups. With about 58 billion paper cups being landfilled every year in the U.S. alone, Vessel provides reusable cups for cafes that customers can check out with their phones and return to kiosks in the area. Dagny saw Vessel as a way to create positive impact through everyday choices, an aspect often missing from sustainability discussions in boardrooms. Using her action and idea-driven mindset, Dagny is working to transform the way people think about their everyday single-use choices, and in this case, cups. Dagny, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure to be here. So you have an incredibly unique background, which we will get into, but just start by telling me a little bit about how you came up with this idea that on the outset seems quite simple. And you have to ask yourself, hmm, not only why didn't I think of that, but how come that's not happening now? But basically, I'll walk into a cafe and instead of using or being given a paper cup that oftentimes has plastic in it, therefore making it non-recyclable and it has to go into a landfill, I can get a vessel, which is basically a stainless steel cup. I could use it and then I'm committed to returning it in a certain period of time or I have to buy it. And then you could reuse it again for the next customer or the next customer. Did I get that mostly right? You sure did. All right. Nailed it. Nailed it. I think that in particular in New York City or any major city around the world at this point, really, if you're walking down the street or you go to a meeting, anywhere you are, at some point you're going to encounter one, if not many, many people that are carrying around a disposable cup. And it's just a really highly visible item that really continues to reinforce disposable culture and disposable behavior. It's totally normalized. And in some ways, it's become a status symbol. I have my 20-ounce latte from XYZ Cafe. I'm in a hurry. I'm important. And so it was a really great place for me as a systems thinker and as we talk about the rest of my background as an intervention point to really rewrite the social script on what's visibly around us and how we think about disposability and or how we can make sustainability more elegant, desirable, et cetera. How is it that someone who has a PhD in international peace, conflict, and development, did I get that right? You did. All right. So you also have a design background and you also teach at Parsons, the new school for design. How is it that you got into this? I mean, it makes some sense, except for the piece part because of the design. But how is it that you made that leap? It's funny. Often my colleagues and I will joke that 20 years in peace and conflict has come down to a stainless steel cup. The reality is, is that I did spend a lot of time in the world of peace and conflict. And in particular, my interest was looking at sort of the unseen environmental and social impacts that were taking place around the world based on what are seemingly innocuous decisions on the other side of the world. And really, if we think about it, the Congo, for instance, 
it's one of the longest running violent conflicts in the history of humanity. I believe it now outnumbers the number of deaths during World War II, et cetera. And a lot of that conflict has been driven by rare minerals, resources, cadmium, things that are found in electronics in your mobile phone. And so we don't really understand that we make choices, particularly as consumers, that have these impacts in other places where those resources come from, where the people are making them, and then ultimately and often where we then send our landfill or our waste. So the impacts are quite radical, actually. And so after two decades of working sort of in that field at the intersection of sustainability as a way to alleviate some of these problems, I really saw a pervasive disconnect. And even in people who are well-educated, you would go to a sustainability conference and the trash cans are overflowing with paper cups. Board level meetings where everybody is on the team for sustainability, people show up with their paper cups, and then lots of decisions in between. You have gold lead buildings that have soap in the dispensers that have an ingredient called triclosan. It's the World Health Organization's number one health danger globally. It creates MRSA and other sort of organisms that we can't fight with antibiotics. So this pervasive disconnect really gave me the drive to find an intervention where we could give people immediate feedback on the impact they were having mostly the positive impacts of making a behavior change, but also potentially the impacts they are having by making other choices. And so because the cup was so visible and so pervasive, I felt that it was a really great intervention point. People like to get their tea, their coffee, whatever, every day. So it's also a choice that people were making every day. And by tech enabling it, I could then attach this immediate information give to somebody about the things that were impacted around the world based on that choice. So if you think about a cup of coffee, there's a lot that goes in it. Not only is there the cup itself, obviously disposable, lots of impacts environmentally on that level, but then there's also, was that fair trade coffee? Who made that coffee? Where did it grow? Was it grown in a sustainable way or not? What am I supporting? unknowingly through my everyday choices and how can I personally have an impact? And we often say, oh, we need COP21. We need these big, bold initiatives to address climate change. And while that is true, you only get to collective change through individual actions. So somebody who has like some mod level anxiety and a lot of hypochondria, you've totally freaked me out about that. I can't remember the name of it. You said could cause MRSA that's in soap dispensers. I mean, I heard everything else you just said, but I keep thinking about that. I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. MRSA. Triclosan. Triclosan. And actually, it was supposed to be banned in the US, but our current government rolled back that ban. So shocking. Shocking. We're in this moment right now. I mean, even when I walk into a coffee shop, there are one of my favorite coffee shops is around the corner from here. It's called Seven Grams. Everybody on my staff knows that I'm obsessed with Seven Grams. And they have those like one cups, you know, they'll sell cups that you can bring back over and over again. My guess is that you're okay with that. It doesn't have to be the vessel as long as we're not using paper cups or plastic and that we're reusing. Isn't that the idea here? Absolutely. In the same way that people like to refill their swell bottles now. I mean, it is nice when I go to a gym or I see people working out that they're no longer using disposable bottles anymore or like the one use bottles. 
they come with their Absolutely. own bottle, which is great. And usually it's a swell or stainless steel or something else. So do you want to kind of be the swell for coffee in cafes in that way, but it's still kind of a rental program? That's an interesting way to look at it. I think that we're really trying to move away from, we love swell. It's great. And we want everyone to bring their reusable water bottle, but how many reusables can you carry with you in any given day? Or straws. Like now I'm stressed out because now I have to have a metal straw. You have to have to be your straw. You should be carrying your silverware. What about your napkin? There are all of these things and particularly in communities in New York City, even the most committed sustainability advocate is going to end up going to a meeting that they didn't expect to where they don't have their reusable cup. And I think then you have the rest of the population, which just simply doesn't care perhaps or doesn't know. And having something that's there, ready, available at that time. We also see that people who are committed, you know, you forget it. It's in the car. It's got that milky, gross smell because you haven't washed it for five days. Any of these things, the number one thing is people don't want to carry it around. And I will say that a bit sadly, the reality is, is that even in a community like Boulder, Colorado, if you have a cafe that has about a thousand pours a day, less than 10 people a day are bringing their own reusable cup into those places. So we really see the need for something that is at the point of sale. It's there. It's easy. You don't have to remember it. You don't have to wash it. You don't have to deal with it. It's really trying to ask for a very little behavior change, in which then hopefully we inspire other behavior changes. And we have seen that with Vessel. In New York City, we ran all of our alpha and beta tests in New York City over the period of six months. And we did a lot of user research and qualitative research. And at that time, we set up a series of interview and in particular, looking for people who identified as not being sustainably minded, who had chosen to use the service. And after three weeks of using Vessel, those people reported, quote, reconsidering all their single use daily habits. And really, that's the behavior change we're after. And I would say that's where sort of my PhD work has come in, into really understanding how do we get people to think about really their role and their impacts in the world more broadly. And with that understanding, people tend to take different choices. Right. And you'd mentioned conflict minerals earlier, and I'm glad you did because a lot of people don't realize the TV they're watching, if you're a certain age, or the phone you're using, which is almost at every age, people died for those devices to be made. Now, I'm not saying you should feel guilty about it, but you need to be aware, right? Because it's not so simple. Absolutely. And I think that awareness can drive changes on lots of different levels. Like maybe you choose not to upgrade your phone every time a free upgrade is available because you recognize that the impact is pretty significant. Right. And why did you call it Vessel? Why Vessel? Of course, like everyone who starts anything, you toy around with a lot of different names. And in the end, Vessel really, it had lots of multiple meanings. Of course, there is the vessel, just that it carries something, but also the vessel is also considered a sort of message, a transference. I think there is a lot of multiple levels of meanings in that word that felt really like the right match for us. And what cities are you in now? You said you beta tested in New York. You're in Boulder. We're in Boulder, Colorado. We're in Berkeley, California. And we actually recently received the San Francisco Department of Environment endorsement and funding for a launch in San Francisco, which is coming up this spring. That's really exciting. So what do you need to do to get that 
certification or the nod to be able to go into these cities? Well, I mean, I don't think you have to get anything as a business entity, except for probably the health department approval. But I think that what we have found is that Berkeley, California, well, just to preface it, the landscape of awareness around this matter in particular has radically shifted over the last 12 to 14 months, in our opinion. I think plastic pollution, particularly in the oceans, really drove awareness to an incredibly high level. Uh, I attribute a lot of that to National Geographic, did a great one of their magazines was on plastic in particular. And so what we've seen is a lot of municipalities in particular get really interested. The type of reach outs we have has gone from everybody around the world, cafes, universities, to really big name, household name, quick service restaurants and others. And with that, we started to see the release of RFPs or request for proposals by cities to actually have infrastructure built for reusability in their communities. And that was a big turning point for us, I would say, in that you now have municipalities that are willing to recognize this is public infrastructure, and we're going to put out a call to anyone in the world that is doing this and choose who we think is best and put some dollars behind getting that built for our communities. And so we have been lucky enough to win those RFPs, the ones that we know about that have been released so far. It's an honor to be able to start to build the software and hardware for communities to make reuse a reality. Are you finding it a little easier to be near or adjacent to a town or a city that has a high university population? Well, universities are great. We love working with universities in general. And I think, yeah, if you want to talk about sort of who's your ideal user, I think that we see a large range of who our users are, but definitely the millennial population. What's the next generation called? Z. Yeah. Is it Z? Yeah. <laughs> Of course, this is already, you know, they're so attuned to using their phone to make transactions and they really get and are invested in sustainability. So they're obvious users for sure. It's funny. My oldest is now a freshman in college and we all went on a family trip a few months ago and we're quite impressed with a water bottle, a reusable water bottle that he now carries with him everywhere. This is not a kid who I would have thought, this is a kid who just like, grab, you know, a Poland spring bottle from the garage over and over, you know what I'm saying, and have them everywhere. He won't do it anymore. It's great. It's great. I mean, I have had two people in my personal sort of surrounds that have knocked my socks off really with their newfound awareness and commitment to addressing plastic. It's been really shocking is the best word. I think we're really seeing a shift. I was trying to remember earlier the name of that cup that I keep seeing. It's called the Keep Cup. Have you seen those? Yeah, Keep Cup. They were designed in Australia and they offer a great cup to buy. Here's the problem. I loved it so much. I kept it at home. I still use it, but I don't travel with it. Actually, I like it over my mugs at home. So maybe I need another one. A fine line and good design. That's exactly right. We're going to take a very quick break and we'll be right back. What percentage of cups actually get bought either it could be through just complacency or because they really like it versus get returned and reused we really encourage the return we don't actually want people to buy our cups we consider ourselves like a library and just to 
go back a second. I know you've used the word rent. We really like to separate ourselves from that category. It's actually free to use vessel as long as you return the cup. And like a library book, if you don't return the library book for others to use, then you're going to get charged for that book. The same is true of vessel. But I think that what we see is most people understand that we're sort of participating in a collective opportunity, a library service. We have less than 2% leakage or loss of our cups that go into charges. And we do occasionally, although we discourage it here from people like, actually, I just, I love the cup. I'm keeping it. (laughs) We say, oh, please don't. You can use it anytime. But mostly people are returning them. Interesting. Do you feel like there's an opportunity to partner with any other like brands or affinity brands to help drive more awareness and more adoption of, I'm sorry, I called it a rental service, you're right, this free service? We actually reached out to every reusables provider we know in the world and have started sort of a reusables industry group. So we are deeply encouraging of anyone out there who is trying to work to normalize reuse. I think that Out of all of those brands, though, we are the only one that is completely free to the end user. A lot of them are subscription models. I think mostly subscription or deposit models. So we have a few things that really differentiate us at this point. I think coming at it from my position that we discussed a little bit was really driven by behavior change and building awareness, making sustainability really sexy, beautiful, accessible. And so our model is a bit different from what others are doing. And where are you manufacturing the cups? You have to manufacture in Asia. It's the bane. I spent two years trying to convince a manufacturer anywhere in North America, including Mexico, to manufacture small-scale stainless steel. You just can't do it. Well, you could. You could tool a facility for about $2 million and not employ anyone and your per-item cost would be more coming off the line. And does that mean you have to surrender some control over the whole kind of manufacturing process and supply chain? Absolutely not. Okay. Surrender is not a word in my lexicon. How have you been able to maintain kind of your values and your standards for sustainability from a manufacturing standpoint when it's manufactured in Asia? I think I've been able to lean heavily on the work I did abroad. And so in doing that work where I was looking very distinctly at supply chains, what was happening for me, sustainability is as much a social question as it is an environmental question, worker rights, child labor, all of these questions that are sort of more in the mainstream vernacular, but really getting into things like indigenous displacement to the extent there's something called the life cycle assessment. It's how you measure scientifically, quantifiably, the impact of a component on the environment, something you're manufacturing. So from raw material extraction, store shelf delivery, all the way through to its disposal phase. And that process has existed since the early 1900s, actually. But it wasn't until 2009 that a social life cycle assessment came out. And it was actually released by the United Nations. And it is a qualitative and quantitative analysis of social impacts. And clearly, it didn't come out for so long because it's very hard to measure. What does it mean? How do you measure the damage done by the displacement of an indigenous population, for instance? And so 
that is just a category that has been in my wheelhouse forever. I've been working in the places where these questions arise the most. And so I've been able to really lean heavily on long-term contacts, facilities that I know about, people who have practices and ethos that are in alignment with us. And so it's a luxury that I have, a luxury earned, I suppose, that many others don't. So it is a valid question. And I think it's something that most people really, really have to learn a lot and have a lot of diligence around. And with that knowledge and experience, and I know you've really just begun, are there other kind of adjacent categories? We talked about straws before, but other adjacent categories you feel like you can leverage this platform and your learnings for, you can scale it into other areas, but also under the umbrella of sustainability and making smart everyday choices. Well, certainly food's the obvious one. And definitely we've been piloting different types of food containers for about a year now and are in conversation with one municipality actually about a potential food pilot. So definitely I think this is another category of disposability that's only growing. The percentage, if you speak to any of the midsize or large sort of quick service restaurants by that, I would mean like your Burger King, McDonald's, all the way down to the Sweet Greens and others. Everyone has seen a shift in the amount of orders that are moving towards to-go. And so while we have this really highly sustainably minded XZ population, they also are to-go consumers, really. And so I think it is an arena that we certainly are looking to address and have started doing so. Honestly, 10 years ago, if you said to me that Burger King or Dunkin' Donuts would offer protein-based sausage or hamburgers, I don't think any of us would have really believed it. And it's not that I'm not for it. I just wouldn't have believed it. So the trend line is going in the right way, at least from a consumer standpoint, a commercial standpoint, maybe not governmental yet. But I imagine that you're seeing some pretty significant uptick just in the conversations you're having at the enterprise level. And by enterprise level, I mean your business model really is dependent on that chain or that cafe or the establishment to pay you as opposed to paying for paper cups. They're paying for the ability for consumers at no cost to be able to reuse your cups. That's correct. And I think that in that 12 to 14 months I was speaking to you earlier about, I think really, I mean, from around the world and from a governmental standpoint, clearly we're behind. Europe's way ahead. I would say that Oceania, the New Zealand, Australia's way ahead and Canada also is way ahead. Regardless of that, I would say you might be shocked at who we're now working with. And I'm not in a position to name those names quite yet. But I think people will really understand that this is something that is being taken very seriously at the enterprise level at this point. And there's this kind of silly, although not so silly argument when people say Canada and Australia or Europe, are like Canada's 30 million people, Australia's 25 million people. It's easier. It's harder to do it in the U.S. And I don't really buy that. I get that when you're talking about larger things like healthcare reform and whatnot. But when you're talking about things like this, it shouldn't be that hard in theory. It's great. I recently had a conversation with a gentleman who has been in charge of R&D at some very high-level places that you would know, manufacturers like electronic manufacturers, as well as working with quick service restaurants. And he was laughing that everyone just says do a reusable cup. This is the most complicated thing I've ever worked on. Yes, it isn't an excuse, certainly. 
But I think that at the surface, doing reusables seems like, yeah, just do reusables. Like you're just doing a cup service, big deal. The reality is the back end of scaling this. And I think it's in the end why we happen to be sort of moving ahead of anyone else who is doing this is because we spent years on the back end technology build to be able to do something that had the capacity to track assets in a way that could scale. It's actually quite complicated, but scale is not going to be a problem for us at this point. And so you're right. There is no excuse that has to do with scale at this point, but it was a problem for a long time. So speaking of scale, I'm just going to ask a really stupid question and completely ignorant question that maybe 1% of our listeners might have as well. Great. Are you at all concerned that you're so successful that ironically, your cups actually end up in landfills just because people aren't returning them? I don't think it's a silly question at all. I think clearly it would be a nightmare vision of like vessels scattered across the streets of New York City, right? We don't want that. And so we are doing things like working with state recycling associations and others to put protocols into place for if these do end up in landfill, if they do end up with these items, how do we get them back? Can't you put like a little message on it? Like, hey. Put a little message. People have done that pick me up, get this thing. We can incentivize people potentially, although that has its nooks and crannies too. You don't want to incentivize people to steal them because they get points for something, et cetera. But we definitely look at what happens when you have some of these that are just forgotten or lost and they do end up in the recycling bin or the trash bin and are certainly working with the people at the other end of that process to say, here's what happens with them and here's how we get them back. Because the point of stainless steel, you know, there's a lot of materiality or material choices that could be made. And the reality is stainless steel is, it's incredible for a lot of reasons, but from a sustainability perspective, it can be infinitely recycled. Unlike plastics or other materials that recycle, but every time they recycle, they downcycle, meaning they lose some of the material integrity each time. And so every piece of plastic that's ever made will end up in the landfill or your ocean or drinking water or somewhere. No matter how bio, eco anyone tells you it is, it's going to lose materiality and integrity each time. Stainless steel is infinitely recyclable. And one of the primary reasons we chose that material. It also happens to be one of the most hygienic materials, which we feel very strongly is an important component as well. Right. If you look at the med tech industry, which I'm sure you did for inspiration as well, it's all stainless steel. Stainless steel, restaurant industry, back of house, all of those things. Stainless steel is the material for a hygienic environment. What would you say to someone who is less woke than you or half of me. I think I'm still on the journey, to be honest with you. I'm getting there, but it's a slow roll for me. What would you say to someone to start slow? Like, What are the few things they can do in their everyday life? In addition to this, but this is obviously in a limited capacity currently, it's in only a certain couple of cities, to start to make more of a meaningful impact and think about sustainability, think about environmental stewardship and environmental justice and things like that that we've been talking about. Well, I think one great thing that people can do is just how you think about it. Anytime you're buying something or getting something, just ask yourself the question, where is this going to end up? What is going to happen with this? And I have even found, you know, I've been on this track for a long time and I'm deep into it, but I find there are a lot of things that I'm really challenged to buy because of packaging. Packaging is a really 
problematic arena for us right now. But also it's that it's just like a non-sustainably minded vessel users who decide to take that last bite of food instead of getting a to-go container or reconsider what they're ordering so they don't have to have extra at the end, bringing their own containers. So I think just even bringing a level of awareness to your decision-making starts to trigger a lot of knowledge about, oh, maybe I won't make that choice, or maybe I'll choose to do this differently, or maybe I'll choose to be brave enough at the Whole Foods buffet bar to say, hey, do you have any more reusable plates back there? I see you're out, and I don't want to take a to-go box. And those to-go boxes, they look like they're environmental, and they're not because they're coated on the inside, so the food doesn't leak. They're coated on the inside. I mean... You can get into really complicated choices around plastics and paper. I feel like it's a little bit of a scam. I think it's like they're faking it a little bit. And like It's making me think, so that's good, that, okay, they're being or apparently trying to become more sustainable. But it's like recently in a couple of hotel chains, you know, when you order room service, now they're delivering it, the room service to you in a bag, in boxes. I'm not going to name the hotels. And I'm mixed about it because when you open it up, and it's the same as like when you go to Whole Foods, it's all lined in the inside with like some sort of film or plastic. Why aren't they just delivering it on the plates that they used to deliver it on? Which is reusable. It makes no sense. I'm like, I'm trying to figure that out. And actually my food's now cold. It's leaking. I have nowhere to eat. It's just stupid. Well, the experience overall isn't as good. And this is one of the things we have really, as a designer, I definitely am a designer. I have an aesthetic appreciation of things and experiential appreciation of things. And I think that this idea that sustainability is hippie, granola, less sacrificial, I think we really have to reattune ourselves to the reality that it is so much nicer to eat off of a plate with silverware and a cloth napkin than this other experience we've just become acclimated to. And in Vessel in the same way, I mean, you now have this like solid, insulated, things stay cold or hot, beautiful Vessel that you get to drink out of instead of this kind of, the word's not appropriate, but you know what I mean, cup that leaks and ends up in the trash can. And how do you feel about states like New York with just literally a week ago banned plastic bags? Well, New York tried to ban plastic bags years ago, and then I believe it was Kumo was in office at the time, overturned that ban. Again, these things become really tricky because what are you measuring? From a lightweighting perspective, in some ways, plastic is more sustainable than paper. In most ways, honestly, if you're looking at carbon emissions. But if you're looking at plastic and you don't want to drink it in your tap water, which is what pretty much all of us are doing. Every salt tested around the world has plastic in it. So if you're going for getting rid of plastic, then you're making the right choice. I think, thank goodness, I think that getting some of this legislation on the table, and I think also looking at the reality of mandating producer responsibility and take back is really important. I think that we're starting to put the burden on those people who have been benefiting from the externalities that they don't have to pay for, that everybody else is paying for, for decades and decades in lots of arenas. So I think that trying to turn the tide a little bit, and it's a matter of working the dials at every level. We all have to take responsibility at some level. So how can we do it in a way Vancouver, we've been speaking to since about 2016, they really wanted a cup ban. 
but you can't ban an item that's going to completely destroy all the businesses that are completely dependent on it for their success. Right. And you get into this like nanny state conversation then afterwards, right? How far do you go? And, you know, I remember when Mayor Bloomberg wanted to like ban sugary drinks or put a tax on sugary drinks. Everybody freaked. Yeah, a little bit. And so I think that it's a little tuning everywhere. Massive behavior change doesn't happen overnight. And this is why I think really thoughtful systems interventions are super important because you start to, again, drive the thinking and behavior that leads to broader changes. We're not going to address every plastic item piecemeal one by one. So we have to come up with shifting how people make decisions around not choosing to use it. And if you have consumers that are choosing not to use something, then that's going to drive the business to make the changes. And if you have businesses that have alternatives, then governments are more likely to be able to make and create legislation that supports further change. I just wish that New York gave me an alternative to where I'm going to put my dog poop, actually. I know. It is such a great question. It's, it's so actually, silly, it's but it's so true. It's on my list of like, One of the most awful, difficult questions of all time. There's a famous design professor who started his class every year. His first design class was you had to do the pooper scooper, come up with a better pooper scooper. And everyone always like, oh, this is such. But these are actually the simple designs often are the most difficult. And this one around the poop, it it gets me every time. I'm sorry, I don't have a solution for you. That could be your next company. Okay. If anybody can do it, you can do it. I know you can. From the cup to the bag <laughs> to the poop. <laughs> you know, it will just keep going down. It'll be great. Right. Listen, it was great having you on. And I appreciate everything that you're doing for the environment. And yeah, we're looking at New York this year. So we'll keep you up to date on how that's coming along. And thank you so much for having us. And We really appreciate you putting out the companies that are out there doing the right thing. Thanks, Dagny. Hope you have a great day. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quickkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of entrepreneurs and senior leaders who make it their brand's mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing team, including the voice you never hear, producer extraordinaire Lindsay Hand, and the always on point associate producer Katrina Walkley, who touches every aspect of this podcast. Learn more about our show at brandonpurpose.com. Follow our Instagram at The Bop Podcast. And learn more about our host at aaronquicken.com. Yeah.